Ever since Adam sinned, this world has been messed up. And he just told us that in Romans 8, didn't he? The creation is groaning. We're not happy with the way things are right now. We're awaiting the glory. But in the meantime, we know that God can even cause these things to work together for good and is. And we're awaiting the glory and He is going to change things around. And He's going to do it in one fell swoop when Jesus Christ gets back. But even now, the Holy Spirit is working. God is providentially orchestrating things so that in the midst of this messed up world, all things are working together for good to those whom He's called out of it. You say, how can He do that? I have no idea, but I know He does. One day we'll see it clearly. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue our study in the book of Romans, and Pastor Scott brings part two of a message titled, God's Unshakable Purpose. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you're ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn and all these other instruments, to fall down and worship the image that I've made very well. I'll give you one more chance. Apparently, you didn't hear what I said. Is it true you didn't do what I said? But if you will not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? That's the key question. We'll see what God there is that can deliver you out of my hands. I've got this furnace here, and I'll heat it seven times hotter than usual. Well, their answer, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this. You know what? When unbelief comes at you and says, If your God is a God of such and such, you don't even have to answer. (laughs) I don't have to defend God. He can take care of himself. And you don't have to either, and there's comfort in that. I'll tell you, when you know who God is, these guys did. They said, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't even have to answer you about this. And we don't have to today, in one sense. But they went ahead and answered anyway. And I think we should too, in most cases. We should be ready to give an account for the hope that is in us, 1 Peter 3 says. And so, I don't have to defend God, but it is my privilege, and I think we should state what we know about God. And so they said, verse 17, If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us, what? From the furnace of blazing fire. God is able to keep us from tragedy. And He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. God could do it that way. But even if He doesn't, verse 18, let it be known to you, O King, that we're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. God can keep us from it. He can keep us out of it. Or if he chooses to put us through it, either way, we're clinging to God, Nebuchadnezzar. We're not going to worship your false gods. 
Well, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage, and his facial expression was altered toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their clothes, and they were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, I mean, notice... Because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who carried them up there. I mean, this was some trial. The men that were valiant enough to follow the false man's orders found out how much power he had to deliver. But these three men, verse 23, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell into the midst God didn't deliver them out of or from. They fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. Maybe you came to Christ and you thought, and you just mistakenly thought, coming to Christ and having Him work for me, He works all things together for good, He'll keep me out of or from. And you found yourself into things you didn't think would come your way. That's where these guys were. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astounded and stood up in haste. He responded and said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, Certainly, O king. What a picture, by the way. How how would you like to be serving the wrong king? You know, millions of people are today. And they're finding themselves slain by the most valiant ones. Don't be following Satan or Satan's little puppets like Nebuchadnezzar. And these guys are, yes, whatever you say, because certainly, king. We had three in there. What a bunch, you know. I think of it sometimes and how sometimes Christians are ridiculed for allegiance to the Most High God. And you look at these guys. How many did I put in there? Three? Yeah, that's right, king. They stand there. He answered and said, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. God didn't deliver them from the furnace. He delivered them through. And He was with them in the furnace. Didn't we put three in there? I see four. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. All of a sudden, he knew who is who. God Most High. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire, and the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. Verse 27 is Romans 8.28 fleshed out. Nothing could hurt them. They didn't even have the smell of the campfire. You know how that is? Think about it. The Bible says, no problem, ultimately. Someday, we'll be saying, that's such a great picture of where we're at right now. You know what I was back on earth and was thinking through, how could this ever be used for good? I had no idea. 
that God would bring me through it. Well, I did have an idea, in fact. We used to sing it. We used to say it. We used to believe it, and it's been proven true in our experience. These men lived out Romans 8.28. You see, God can and does work things out according to His purposes. Look over at Ephesians 1. Turn to Ephesians 1. I mean, it's so good to know that He does it for His purpose. And His purpose is our good. Not just good in general, but our good. You say, where do you get that, Scott? Because it just says God causes all things to work together for good. Well, you read on, and we're going to take probably all of next time looking at what He says He's accomplishing what His purpose is. He's conforming us to the image of His Son. His Son is going to be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom He called, He's going to justify. Those whom He foreknew from all eternity, He's going to glorify. I mean, from eternity to eternity, His purpose includes us. This good is for us. It's our good. I mean, look at Ephesians 1. Verse 11, you kind of summarize a bunch of Romans 8 in one little statement. We have obtained an inheritance. We've already heard that in Romans 8. Having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. We have obtained an inheritance. We have been predestined according to His purpose and His will. And He works what? He causes, He works all things to accomplish His purpose for us. Oh, enjoy this. Enjoy this. This is tremendous to know. He uses everything. The Bible says that all things are His servants. Psalm 119. He says that He sits in the heavens, He does whatever He pleases. He uses the winds, the waves. Everything is His to use, and they're tools of His to use. I mean, listen to the 104th Psalm. Let me just read you a great psalm where He talks about creation. Here's how it starts. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, Thou art very great. Thou art clothed with splendor and majesty, covering thyself with light as with a cloak, stretching out heaven like a tent curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He walks upon the wings of the wind. He makes the winds his messengers, flaming fire his ministers. And so if he wants Elijah home, what's he do? He sends a chariot down on the flames and takes him home. And Elisha stood there and saw it. And he began to realize how powerful the God of Elijah really was. And Elisha followed suit. Turn over again. It's so good to see this illustrated. Look at 2 Kings. Turn to 2 Kings 6. I mean, Elisha had seen Elijah's home going. And so uh, it's no wonder that he was a man of faith. And uh, it's such a you know good illustration. I just want to give you the whole context here. 2 Kings 6. Verse 8, Now the king of Syria was warring against Israel, and he counseled with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. Here's my war council. We'll meet over here on this hill and attack him in that valley. And the man of God, that's Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not go, you know, don't pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Elisha would tell the king of Israel what the plans of the king of Syria were. 
How could he know? Well, he's the man of God. God knows everything. God causes all things, okay? The king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him so that he guarded himself there more than once or twice. This started to happen a lot. And as in war, when you start to realize your enemies knowing what you're doing ahead of time. Now the heart of the king of Syria, verse 11, was enraged over this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you tell me which of us is for the king of Israel? There's a mole here. Which one of you? And he's enraged. He knows our plans ahead of time. One of his servants said, No, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, he tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Think about it. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and take him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he's in Dothan. So he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the little city where Elisha was. So the king of Syria said, I'll put a stop to this. He surrounds the city Elisha's in. Well, now when the attendant of the man of God uh, had risen early, Elisha's helper, his attendant, and gone out, he got up in the morning, went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? You ever feel yourself in a situation like that? You get up in the morning and you look at the circumstances and you're surrounded. And you go, Alas, what should I do? He answered, verse 16, Do not fear. You know, the Scripture says that repeatedly, doesn't it? Do not fear. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what chariots are surrounding you today. But I can tell you that Elisha knew God. He knew that God uses the flames as his ministers. He uses the winds as his messengers. He uses everything. He's in charge of everything. Do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. The two of them? Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray. Open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. All of a sudden, he didn't see the king of Syria's chariots. He saw the king of kings' chariots. He saw that he uses fire, he uses chariots, he uses whatever he wants, everything is in his hand. Romans 8.28 was true then. It's true now. All things are thy servants. Psalm 119, verse 91. Joseph, he went through the pits, didn't he? Literally, he was thrown in a pit by his brothers and he was sold into slavery. And when he did the right thing and lived a pure life morally, young people, he refused what would have been great temptation he stayed true to the Lord, and it seemed as if it backfired. He was thrown into prison for what he didn't do. And I'm sure the whisperings of the flesh and the world and Satan were saying, why don't you just do what you wanted to, and this wouldn't even happen to you. And often it looks as if maybe going the way of immorality or going the way of the world or just compromising will lead to good. But Joseph knew God, and he hung on to God, and you know the story. God brought him through and put him on the throne of Egypt. And when his brothers came and said, Oh, after dad died, what are you going to do to us now? What are we, we've done. We're so sorry what we did. And he says, Listen, don't worry about it. You meant it for evil, 
God meant it for good. You mean that all that happened to him, God could cause to work together for good? Joseph could see it even toward the end of his life. I'm quoting Genesis 50, verse 20, when he said, You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. You mean that when people persecute God's people, and they mean it for evil, God can turn that around and use it for good? I mean all things. He didn't say, we know that God causes most things. He said all things. And I don't know your circumstances, but I know this. God is bigger, and He can cause and does cause all things to work together for good. But somebody says, how can you say all things are thy servants? How can you say God sits in heaven, He does what He wants? In an ideal world, there wouldn't be suffering. There wouldn't be sorrow. There wouldn't be the kind of agony as you watch your child waste away. There wouldn't be, and you come up with these things, and you say, in an ideal world, these things wouldn't be. Where is God? Listen, I agree with you. In an ideal world, but we're not in an ideal world. Man sinned. Man brought the problems. You sinned. I sinned. Ever since Adam sinned, this world has been messed up. And he just told us that in Romans 8, didn't he? The creation is groaning. We're not happy with the way things are right now. We're awaiting the glory. But in the meantime, we know that God can even cause these things to work together for good and is. And we're awaiting the glory, and He is going to change things around. And He's going to do it in one fell swoop when Jesus Christ gets back. But even now, the Holy Spirit is working. God is providentially orchestrating things so that in the midst of this messed up world, all things are working together for good to those whom He's called out of it. You say, how can He do that? I have no idea, but I know He does. And He's gonna, one day we'll see it clearly. How could a guy stand in that furnace and not even smell like fire? I don't know. But God is God, and we know Him. And that's the bottom line of it. And I don't have to explain Him. I don't have to defend Him. Unbelief can sneer at Him, but unbelief will find out soon enough that it's always wise to believe God. Heaven and earth will pass away. The things you counted on... They won't uh, be unshakable. God's going to shake everything, and what shakes will be dealt with. But He's the unshakable one. He has unshakable purposes. And I could cite Daniel 3. I can cite 2 Kings 6. I can look at Joseph's life. But ultimately, Christianity stands or falls on the truth that God can use that which is evil for good. You meant it for evil, sons of Israel, as you killed or thought you had, and sold him into slavery for, what, 30 pieces of silver, whatever it was? What was that a picture of, by the way? The sons of Israel looked at the beloved Son of God. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. They said, crucify him, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Peter stood up the first time this side of the resurrection, when he proclaimed Christianity, if I can use that term, and he said this, You killed him. God raised him from the dead. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Can God use the most evil thing man ever did? There's nothing worse 
than the cross, is there? What's the most despicable thing we could have done as humans? We did. Our sins put him on the cross. But for his grace, we'd have been standing there spitting. And in fact, we were till he saved us, right? You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Man's worst is used to display God's best. Jesus Christ died on a cross, not ultimately at the hands of wicked men, but for our sins. No man takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. I came to seek and to save the lost. There he is, the Lamb of God, who's going to be laid down. He's going to shed his blood, a ransom for many. He's going to be crucified the third day and rise again. That's the message of Christianity. Third thing, and we've got to stop, but I want to underline it. This isn't for everybody. We know that God causes all things to work together for good, not for everyone, to those who love God. Look at that. Look at the verse again. Notice how he describes us. From man's perspective, what? Those who love God. From God's vantage point, those who are called according to his purpose. Do you love him? Do you love him? We love him because he first loved us. These great comforts, these great guarantees are not for the unbeliever. If you're here without Christ, I have no assurance of anything good for you. In fact, if you spurn him, if you continue on into a Christless eternity, I can guarantee you nothing but death and all its ramifications, eternal death. Jesus used language that would be horrifyingly clear so that we would realize what is guaranteed for those who spurn his salvation. But he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. For God so loved the world, you, me, that he sent his only begotten son. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Come to Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And then these things will be true of you. You can bask in the security of being able to say, my Lord and my God. You can know him. And Christian, enjoy, enjoy Verse 28, and I wish we had time. We'd like to just go on and see what his purpose is. He's foreknown you from before the foundation of the world. His purposes are eternal. And he is going to bring you to that state of future glory that far outshines the present suffering. He will not be deterred. Nothing can thwart his purposes. And we're going to look at it next time. In the meantime, enjoy him. We do find ourselves in situations that we don't understand. We do come to forks in the road where we don't see any possible good, but we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. 
Today's program was titled, God's Unshakable Purpose, a message from our series in the book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. We're excited to report that the Romans Project is expanding rapidly into the countries of India, Nepal, Thailand, and Cambodia. We invite you to click on the link for the Romans Project on the front page of our website at downtownbible.org. There you'll find monthly updates, testimonies, and images from Romans Project outreach around the world. To learn more, navigate to romansproject.org or connect with us at facebook.com slash romansproject. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. We look at the person of Christ in the Word of God. We look at the beauty of Jesus Christ, and as we do, we are transformed. We are the word metamorphosis, we're changed from the inside out, from glory to glory. It's a process. And the more you look at Jesus Christ, the more you're transformed from the inside out to be like Him. And that's what verse 29 is talking about. God is causing all things right now, even the suffering He just mentioned in chapter 28, even the groaning, all these things, especially these things, he's using to conform us to the image of his son. And then one day he'll finish the work. And we have borne the image of the earthy, Corinthians 15 says, we will bear the image of the heavenly. One day he will finish the task and he will fully conform us to the image of his son. We shall be like him. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part three of the message titled, God's Unshakable Purpose. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.